you have your Bibles this morning, turn with me to the book of Matthew. Matthew chapter 1. A.F. Wells said, and you take Christmas out of, you take Christ out of Christmas and December becomes a, becomes the bleakest and most colorless month of the year. Uh, if you ever, you ever really thought about that? Yeah, take it even further. If you were to just remove Christmas in general, I'll take away the lights and the festivities and all that stuff. I mean, December really is kind of a dark and cold and gloomy month. And yet many of us never notice that because of all the things that are kind of happening around us, all the bright, colorful lights and the excitement of people everywhere. And in fact, there are those kind of people, and you are probably in here and you should repent of this, that as soon as Christmas is over with, you are immediately beginning to think about when Christmas will come around. We shall, I, You people, there's some of you in here. You, as soon as it's over with, you're immediately thinking about, all right, we're 364 days away till Christmas again. Christmas is such a joy for some people. It is, it is just great, wonderful time. But if you ever were to just remove, then you would actually, you know, it gets dark earlier. It is cold and many of those types of things. But we love this type of, we love this month because of all the lights and the decorations and the festivities and the food and the, the giving and the getting and all the other things that go. We will drive from neighborhood to neighborhood and town to town to see the beauty of houses decorated in lights. And so it's very easy to understand why we do love this month. But if you were to ponder this a little more, one could say that this is an illustration of the great joy that is brought forth from the birth of Christ. How Jesus' birth brought light into a dark and gloomy world. In John chapter 1, verses 45, we read, it says, In Him was life, and the light was the light of mankind. And the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not grasp it. We see that the birth of Christ illuminates, that it illuminates like the, the lights on a house. It illuminates the darkness that we may be able to see. And so Christmas kind of illustrates to us how the gospel lights up a lost and dying world. We see that the true story of Christmas encourages a weary heart and brings joy amidst brokenness. And to, it can save a lost sinner. And so anticipation of Christmas Day and anticipation as of our Christmas Eve service and the beauty that the gospel brings to our world. I want to look at the very reading that we had this morning, Matthew chapter one, and, and we're going to focus in there on verses 22, 25. And I want to just look at the meaning of Christmas or better yet, maybe the significance of Christmas. Why is this so significant? Not just the holiday itself, but why is the birth of Christ and uh, as some have said that December 25th is probably most not the day that Jesus was born. But, but why do we celebrate this? And why is the birth of Christ so significant to our lives? And I want to show you four things. I want you to see the message, the miracle, and the mission, and the meaning. The message, the miracle, the mission, and the meaning. And so if you will, we'll just begin again. Uh, look at, well, I'll tell you what, we'll start in verse 22. Look with me there in verse 22. It says, now all this took place. To fulfill what was spoken by the Lord through the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall be with child and shall bear a son. 
And they shall call his name Emmanuel, which translates, which translated means God with us. And Joseph awoke from his sleep, and he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. And he took Mary as his wife, but he kept her a virgin until, he gave, until she gave birth to a son. And he called his name Jesus. I want you to begin with me this morning by looking at the message. And so we find here that this angel comes and he delivers a message. Now, Christmas is that time of the year already. I've received cards now where, where people are going to begin to deliver cards. And some of you will, will do all kinds of wonderful things in those cards. But it has been calculated that 1.3 billion Christmas cards are going to be sent out during the month of December. And they're going to be contained with all kinds of things. Words of joy, handwritten notes, Christmas pictures, and, and most of you, those things that you really, really desire, those gift cards, right? Or those, uh, or, or, the, or the green that comes in those cards. They're going to be filled with different things and they're going to go out and, and they're going to go and they're going to, people are going to get them and they're going to open them up and they will be delighted to see what they have received from their loved ones. Yet, those 1.3 billion cards combined could not ever contain the wealth of what we have just read that the angel gives. From our text, we discover that Joseph was betrothed or engaged to this woman named Mary. He is supposed to marry her. They are rather young. They are in their teenage years. And so he is excited about this. He's looked forward to this for over a year in this betrothal period. Yet here toward the end, he finds some very disturbing news. Unfortunately for him, Mary has now been found to be pregnant with child. And Joseph has, is not the father. That is very obvious here within the text. He is not the father. So you could imagine the thoughts and the emotions that are going to go through his head. And the first one being the issue of brokenness. The first thought, the first emotion, the issue of brokenness, of betrayal. That the woman that he has engaged his life to, the woman that, he has, that was promised to him, that he has promised himself to her, has now been unfaithful in his mind. And so Joseph seeks to divorce her quietly. And what we find is, is in Scripture, that he's actually trying to do a wonderful favor for her. Because it's going to come out that the child is not Joseph. And so there's going to be a lot of humiliation, a lot of other things. We even know that for one uh, who breaks the betrothal period, who is unfaithful, they can even be put to death. And so Joseph is going to do everything he can to make this, for this not to happen to Mary. He's going to do this quietly. If this would have happened, beloved... Could you imagine what that would mean for us? You ever just stopped and thought about that? That if Joseph would have went through with the divorce, several things would have happened that would have changed the course of history. Joseph would not have been the adopted father of Jesus. Why is that so important? If you notice there in verse 25, it says, he, But he kept her a virgin until she gave birth to a son. And notice what it says. He called his name Jesus. In other words, Joseph gives him his name, which is really kind of a symbol here of his adoption of Christ. So, so Joseph adopts Jesus as his, own, as his own son. Why is that important? Because it gives Christ the right to rule. Because as we see here from the angel's message that Joseph is from the lineage of David. Not only that, Joseph would not have been there to, for the protection of Christ because we will find that there are those who will seek his own life. Mary would have been accused and believed to have sinned, to get, sinned giving birth to an illegitimate child, meaning that Christ, his birth, would have this stigma of being a sinful birth rather than a miraculous one. And so there's so much at stake here that if Joseph would have went forward with his divorce, but here we find that God has different plans. What we find is, is that Joseph's plans are not God's plans. And for that, all of us here this morning can give God praise. Amen? Amen. 
Isn't it amazing that God interrupts us, interrupts our plans, interrupts these things that are going on? Because if you really look at this from Joseph's eyes, before the angel comes to deliver to him what this is, things are not looking good. But here we find that this angel comes to deliver good news. The angels are created for the purpose of serving God's purpose. And here, God has a purpose for Joseph. God has a purpose for Mary. God has a purpose for this child that is within her womb. And so the message from the angel is utterly important because it reveals the plans of God. What is so interesting about Matthew chapter 1 is that Matthew chapter 1 resembles Genesis chapter 1. Because if you remember last week, Brother Craig was talking, the word became flesh. And there's that Genesis here where, where the flesh, you know, where the flesh kind of comes into being here. Not that Christ never existed. He's always existed, but he now becomes man. And so there's this Genesis taking place, this, this, this birth of the flesh here. But think about how it started in Genesis. In the beginning, God. There was nothing but God and God is revealing himself. It is a letter. It is God making known of his presence, making known who he is and making known that he is the one who created the world. And so here in Matthew, you kind of have something very similar with this Genesis of the flesh where the angel comes and he reveals God. Joseph, I know this is what you're thinking. Joseph, I know that, that, that right now you're thinking Mary has been unfaithful. Joseph, I know that you're thinking about divorcing her. But, but the angel comes and he says, but Joseph, God, God is doing something. God is, God is working here, Joseph. And he delivers this message to him. And so what is so amazing here about this message is, is that the angel is revealing the advent or the arrival of the long-awaited Messiah. This is a message of hope. That this extraordinary pregnancy is fulfilling God's promise all the way back that goes to Genesis chapter 3 verse 15. The seed of the woman will crush the head of the serpent. Think about that for just a moment. Joseph is looking at this situation and he's looking at Mary and what he sees is nothing but sin and brokenness. You were unfaithful. You sinned not only against me, but you sinned against God because that's the way the world is. That's all, they, that's all that they knew and that's all that we know until God speaks. And the angel comes and he speaks to Joseph and he tells him that God is now fulfilling that which he promised so long ago. Beloved, this message that Joseph received is the very reason that we celebrate Christmas. It is the very reason we should celebrate. It should be the only reason that we celebrate Christmas. Is that it is significant to us because it is a message of hope where God is revealing his son, Jesus Christ, the Messiah. And so we see a message of hope here that the people who lived in darkness have seen a great light. Joseph, who lived in darkness, is now being shown the light that this Jesus, that this son that he is adopting will be the, the very one that God has promised and the very one who is going to go to the cross and give his life that we may be saved from our sins. It is a message of hope. But I would even go further this morning, beloved, and tell you that what this angel brings to Joseph is not only a message of hope, but it is a message of faithfulness. That God has done and will always do what he has promised. God will always keep his promises. And he keeps the very first one that he made there in Genesis chapter 3 verse 15. The seed of the woman will come and crush the head of the serpent. 
They have been looking for this one. They've been waiting for this one. And here in the darkness of night, here in the deadness of night, in his sleep, in his dream, God reveals his work of salvation. And I will even take this even further as we'll look at a moment. This is also a message of power. Because God is about to do something so miraculous, so amazing, so powerful, beloved. It will compare to the creation of the world itself. This is a message of power. That Joseph, that all things are possible with God. And so, beloved, what message are you listening to these days? I don't know about you, but I am, I think many of us are tired and we are fatigued and we are, we are just tired of hearing the same old message over and over again, a message of doom and gloom, a message of death and suffering, a message of, of, you know, no hope, a message of, you know, stay away from everybody. All these messages, everything just, all 2020 has seemed to have brought us as nothing but these negative messages, which is truly not, that's not the reality. There's been a lot of good things that have happened. But beloved, we have a message of hope here. The message of Christ and his birth, the message of the gospel shines a bright light revealing the truth of this world. That no matter what may come and no matter how much suffering we may endure, beloved, you and I have hope in this Messiah. That's what this was for Joseph. You need to understand that Joseph was looking forward to the wedding of of Mary. He was looking forward to marrying this woman that he was going to give his life to. That was his great hope in that day. And it it all seemed to fall apart. But then this angel appears and he says, he says, Joseph, it's not what you think. But but hear me. Joseph's great delight was not that Mary did not was not unfaithful to him. That was not what overshadowed that night. That that was not what gave him great joy. My my betrothed didn't didn't sin against me. She She didn't betray me. No, what gave Joseph great hope was Joseph the Messiah is here. And he is in the womb of the woman that you will marry. And this is a message of hope to you, Joseph, and to the rest of the world. Beloved, I don't know what you have your hope in, but I can tell you that none of these other messages out here in this world, none of them compared to this one. What message are you listening to, beloved? What good news are you hearing that you may have joy in this broken world? This is the significance of Christmas, that every year that we celebrate, we are reminded of the great hope within the greatest message of all, which is the gospel of Jesus Christ. But I would even take this even further this morning and say, beloved, not only what message are you hearing, but what message are you telling others? What message are you telling others? At this very moment, there are those around the world. There are those in our own family. There are those in our own church. There are those in our own neighborhood, beloved, in our very own households who need to hear a message of hope. That you are broken. That all you see right now is your sin. All you see right now is the brokenness of your family. And all you see is the brokenness of the world. All you see is death and suffering. That's what, that's what many of the people are seeing today. And they need to hear something of hope. 
and it's not in the spirit of Christmas, secular spirit, but it is in the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ who came to this world and took on flesh that he may bring joy and salvation to us. Well, beloved, what message are you sharing? But not only that, I want you to look at the miracle. Look at verse 20, he says, But when he had considered this, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife, for the child who has been conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. So we see the angel who comes and delivers a message, but we also now see this miracle that's taking place. So, so he comes and he says to Joseph, Joseph, your wife has not been with another man. And Joseph's like, but she's got a child. I, I know, but it's a miracle. This is from the Lord. This is not from another man. We call this blood, we call this miracle the incarnation. We call it the incarnation where God takes on flesh. Again, Christ did, it's not that Christ never existed and that God created Christ in this moment. That's not what this is. For Christ was there from the very beginning. Christ was there from before the beginning. And so what we see is this is the, the taking on of flesh, the incarnation, where the deity, you know, keeps his deity, but he also takes on his, his also this humanity. Wayne Grudem defines this uh, miracles as a less common kind of God's activity in which God arouses people's awe and wonder and bears witness to himself. I love this definition. Notice what he says again, a less common kind of, of God's activity. So you and I are kind of brought up in this culture where we believe that miracles are the greatest activity of God, right? That God's presence with us is seen if someone does a miracle, if something extraordinary is done, then that's the great. No, beloved, God is sustaining the world and you don't see what he's doing. That there are many other works of God that are happening in your life and you will never know about them. But the miracles that we see in Scripture, I love what he says here, they're the less common kind of activity. Extraordinary, yes. Eye-catching, yes. But our God is doing far greater works that you and I do not know about and will not see. But I love this. He says, it arouses people's awe and wonder. In other words, miracles draw people's attention. It catches their eye. So much like Christmas lights on a house when you're driving in the, the darkness of night and you see the lights as, as we were coming home and, and Grace was saying, look at those Christmas lights. And look at those Christmas lights. They, they catch your eye and you, you begin to look at them. Much like Christmas lights on a house, beloved, miracles take our eyes off the darkness of the world, off the brokenness of the world, the deadness of this world, and it places our eyes on the light and the life of Christ. There are three types of miracles that we find throughout Scripture. There are signs, something that indicates God's activity and power. This may have been, this may be something like where Moses throws down the staff and it becomes a, a snake. This Jesus healing somebody. There are wonders, events that cause people to be amazed and astonished. The, maybe the parting of the Red Sea. But then there are the mighty works, which is the real definition of a miracle. A, a phenomenon, if you will. It is an act displaying so great a power, beloved, that that power is divine and we have that right here. The birth of Christ, the incarnation, is a phenomenon. You have to go deeper than the virgin birth. The virgin birth, the virgin part of it, is just part of it. There, there is something far deeper here. 
The, the, the incarnation of Christ is the miracle, the, the divine taking on humanity. So, so here, the incarnation, along with creation, along with resurrection, are some of the most important miracles to have ever occurred in all of history. Creation, resurrection, incarnation. This is one of the highest displays of God's power in the history of the world. One that should not be forgotten. And one that when we read of it or when we celebrate it as a holiday, that it should be reminded for what it is, that this is far more than just a virgin giving birth, which is miraculous in and of itself. This is the God of heaven, beloved, becoming a man on earth. Listen to J.I. Packer on this. He was not now God minus some elements of his deity, but God plus all, all that he had made his own by taking on manhood to himself. He who made man was now learning what it felt like to be a man. He who made the angel who became the devil was now in a state in which he could be tempted. Could not indeed avoid being tempted by the devil. And the perfection of his human life was achieved only by the conflict with the devil. Or maybe the Apostle Paul puts it better in Philippians chapter 2, beginning in verse 7, that Jesus emptied himself by taking on the form of a bondservant and being born in the likeness of men and being found in the appearance as a man. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, death on a cross. For this reason also God highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name which is above every name, so that at at that name of Jesus every knee will bow of those who are in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and that every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. That's what's happening here. That is what is taking place in the womb of Mary. The very power, the very act that brought something from nothing. Genesis chapter 1. The very power and the very act that rose, that that raised the dead, that, that rose from the dead after dying on the cross... Is in the womb of this woman. The power of all universe. In the womb of this lady. Oh beloved, this is a far greater miracle than you and I could ever imagine. FBC, it is through this miracle that we have reason to rejoice For it is this miracle that made your salvation even possible. For in the birth of Christ, in this display of power, full deity and full humanity come together as a perfect sacrifice. He was literally a lamb being raised within the womb of Mary for the slaughter. God, humanity, together being in the womb, that he may be raised, that he may be the perfect sacrifice. So for us, beloved, you cannot separate Christmas from the cross. Our attention is to, be, is to be drawn to the wonder and to the amazement of what God has done here. 
Our attention is to be drawn away from the worries of the world and from the suffering of the world, from the death and the darkness and the, and the deadness of this, of this world to be placed squarely on the power of life and not just any life, but the saving life of Christ. And so therefore you must understand that we celebrate Christmas because it is not a sign It is not a wonder. It is a mighty work of God. It is the same as in creation and in resurrection. And it is significant to us because it reminds us that this power of God is with us even today. Should this not strengthen your faith this morning? That you who are struggling in this time and this year and you're wondering, is there really any hope? That, that, that there's any salvation for me, whether it be spiritual or physical or financial? Is there really any hope for this broken world? Is there really any hope for, for the sickness of this world? Is there really any hope for death? You can get all the vaccines you want. You're still going to die. Do I have hope that it's going to cure me and, and, and help me to overcome that which cannot be defeated? What sign, God, do you have of this? And the virgin shall give birth to a son. We are reminded today, beloved, that our faith in God is a strong faith. For this God has the power to do the impossible. And beloved, if he has the power to create all of life, If he has the power to combine deity and humanity. And if he has the power to rise from the dead. Do you not believe that he has the power to walk with you? To protect you? Or to keep you? And to be with you? To fix you? To fix your brokenness and your sin. Does this God not have that kind of power? Absolutely. Amen and amen. Are you struggling this morning, beloved? Then look to God. And draw on the power of the Spirit that lives inside of you. And if you are not a believer and he does not live inside of you, then beloved, then call out to him and be saved. He has the power to save you, which goes next to the mission. Look at verse 21. He says, and she will bear a son and she shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. The word for there is a term of explanation. So he's explaining the reason that his name is is going to be Jesus. Because notice what he says. He gives the purpose here. He gives the mission. He will save his people from his sins. That's what the name means. Not save them from poverty, by the way. Not save them from physical suffering. Not save them from from financial collapse, emotional pain, or even the new thing today, the racial oppression, female oppression, all these different oppression. Everybody's oppressed today. And that's what we think we need to be saved for, from. No, beloved, he didn't come to save you from those things, nor to save you politically, by the way. Christ came to save you for the consequences of your sin. 
Now, why do we need saving from sin? Well, the word means to miss the mark. It's like an arrow that, that misses the bullseye. But, but really, it carries a far greater idea, far greater understanding that many people want to look at that and they go, okay, my sin is just, a, it's just me making mistakes. My sin is just me being a failure. It, it really isn't intentional. I missed the mark. I may, you know, so we don't think so highly of sin, so, so deeply of sin. But really, it means departure. So the arrow departed from its course. And Martin Luther said it, that it missed the mark because it departed from God willingly. We departed from God. We committed our sin, which is a transgression, a crime. It is treason against a holy and righteous God. And this departure has not come without great cost, beloved, because we who have sinned and departed are now under judgment. Notice Matthew says that he will save them. The Greek word carries an idea, this issue of will save. It can, carries the idea that you will be rescued from great peril. What peril am I being rescued from? There are some who would say, well, you're being rescued, you know, from just the, just from the world itself. The world is just bad and oppressed and, and you're being rescued from that. Well, that's not the great peril. Others will say, well, we're being rescued from Satan. All right. He's going to rescue us from Satan. Satan has us in his grip. Nope. You're not being rescued from Satan. You are being rescued from God himself. Because God says in Romans chapter 6 verse 23. For the wages of sin is death. He has placed a death sentence on you. Because you've departed from his will. You have sinned against him. We love John chapter 3. But listen to this. John chapter 3 beginning verse 15. He says that whosoever believes in him. Who have eternal life for God's will of the world. That he gave his only begotten son. That whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already. Because he has not believed in the name of the only son of God. Beloved, if we have not believed in Christ, if we have not repented of our sins and come to faith in Jesus, we are under condemnation. A death sentence has been placed upon us for our crimes and our departure from the Lord. This is the great peril that we are facing. It's not financial. It's not physical. It's not, it's not emotional. The great peril that you and I are facing is, is that one day you are going to stand before a holy and righteous God. And you are going to be held accountable for your sins. And all of your good deeds are not going to amount to a hill of beans. Because your sin... Of departure is so great. It cannot be paid. It cannot be bought. With your works. How then can we be saved? How can this Jesus come. And purchase our sins. Paul writes of this in Romans chapter 5. Listen to what he writes. Romans chapter 5. He says beginning in verse 1. He says therefore having been justified by faith. We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Wow. Uh, right there, he says, we have peace with God. How does that, the, the death sentence is no longer on us. Well, notice what he says. Through whom also we have attained an introduction by faith into his grace in which we stand, we exalt in the hope of the glory of God. And not only this, but we also exalt in our tribulations, knowing that tribulation brings about perseverance and perseverance proving character and proving character hope. And hope does not disappoint because the love of God, which has been poured out within our hearts through the Holy Spirit, who was given to us, for while we were still helpless at the right time, 
Christ died for the ungodly. For one will hardly die for a righteous man. Though perhaps for a good man, someone would dare even to die. But God demonstrates his own love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Much more than having now been justified by his blood, we shall be saved from the wrath of God through him. For if, it, for if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son, much more having been reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. Not only this, but we also exalt in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received the reconciliation. What is the mission? The mission is, is that Christ would come, beloved, and die on behalf of your sins. He would be a propitiation. He would be a substitute. His death and his resurrection would justify you of your sins. It would remove the condemnation. It would remove the the death sentence from you. And not just forgive you. Not just justify you. But make you righteous in all aspects. And make you a son or daughter of the king. Jesus was born to die. Christmas, his birth, again, I say to you, cannot be separated from the cross of Calvary. This is why we celebrate, because Christ succeeded in his mission. There is now salvation available to all who would repent and believe upon Jesus Christ as the Son of God. There is justification for you. This is why Christmas is significant. Again, not the secular holiday, but this is why the birth of Christ is so significant. Because it is so much, it is so connected to the work of salvation, beloved, that if you were to lose it, there would be none. And so I say to you this morning, beloved, are you in need of saving? Are you in need of saving this morning? Are you plagued by sin? Are you plagued by your own deadness of soul and lostness, beloved? Then come and be saved. Christ died for you. Christ was born that he may suffer, that he may be led to the slaughter for you. He was raised for the very purpose that he would succeed where you have failed. Because he did not depart from God. He did not miss the mark. And in his perfection, willingly gives his life over that you may be saved. You were not saved by your deeds, but only by the success of Jesus in his mission. Repent and believe. But I would also, again, beloved, say this. Not only do you and I have a message to give, we also have a mission to participate in. For Matthew begins with a mission, but it ends with the mission being given to us. For in Matthew chapter 28, there in verse 18, we get the great commission that Jesus tells us that you and I are now to complete the mission that he himself has sealed it by his own blood. But we are to go proclaim it. Paul writes in Corinthians to the Corinthian church that, that we have now entered into the ministry of reconciliation. And so not only do we have a message, beloved, not only do we have a miracle, you and I have a mission ourselves. And what better time to tell the world of Jesus Christ than at a time, a holiday, that at its center is a celebration of the birth of Christ who gives his life for us. I am so appreciative of Brother Howard's prayer 
Because did you notice what he said? In his prayer, Brother Howard said that just because of COVID, we are not exempt from evangelism. I would even go further and say to you, beloved, the mission has become even more urgent because of COVID. Go and share this gospel with your loved ones. And then finally, I want you to see now the meaning. Notice now the meaning. He says, now all of this took place, there in verse 22, all this took place to fulfill what was spoken by the Lord through the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall be with child and shall bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which translated means God with us. I want you to see the meaning here. Notice it says that all this took place. That phrase, all this, is in perfect tense. And it indicates that it stands on record as a historical fact. It's, it happened. It's, it's, it's historical. It's, it, it cannot be, we cannot be persuaded that, it's, that it was pretend, that it's a conspiracy. This truly happened, the advent, the advent of Christ, his first coming. And not only that, not only did it truly happen, but this, it also means that it has great influence day by day, that, that its influence carries out through history. And so we know this. We know the birth of Christ has an influence and effect upon our life. But what do they mean here when, when, when Matthew writes that all this took place? What, what is he talking about? Well, he's talking about the prophecies. And, and there are many prophecies. There, there, there are many, over 40-something of them, who are proclaiming Christ and giving all the details. And they're all fulfilled exactly like that. And, and we know the, the probability of that in itself is, is, is a miracle in and of itself. Of all of them fulfilling exactly the way that God said. But specifically, this is Isaiah chapter 7 verse 14 where we are told of the virgin who would give birth. Well, why are all these prophecies fulfilled? Why this one in particular? Why, why this mission and this miracle and this glorious message that we've been given? Well, he says, Isaiah 7, 14, Behold, the virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they shall name him Emmanuel, which translated means God with us. Now, again, as we have talked about prophecies having these kind of short-term uh, you know, fulfillments and these long-term fulfillments, we see this in Isaiah, that when Isaiah prophesied this, he did so because Judah was about to be attacked by their enemies. Israel and another pagan army, another nation had come together. I think it was the Assyrians. They, they've come together and they're about to fall upon Judah. And they're going to destroy Judah. And everybody's lost hope. How are we going to make it through this? And Isaiah prophesies that God will give them a sign. But the bigger picture is the birth of Christ. A declaration of love and God's presence with his people. According to John MacArthur, all of the truths of Christmas, all of them, all of the meaning of Christmas, everything that we want to talk about can be summed up in these three words. God with us. That is the significance. That is the significance of this holiday. That is the significance of why we celebrate is that Jesus has been born. Why? Because of God's great love for you. You who sinned and departed from God. You who like Adam were cast out of the presence of God and fellowship with God and all of humanity. 
no longer to be with God the way we were created to be. God came to be with you. Can you imagine what that is? You ponder that for a moment, you. And you know you. I know me. I have no idea why you want to be with me. I sometimes wonder why y'all want to be with me, but you know. Why? Christ came to be with us. We were separated from God by the fall, but now through Christ, through the birth of Christ, we are no longer alone. You say, yeah, but Christ has left. Yes, but he sent his spirit, who is God, who is now even closer to us than what Christ was because he lives in me. Through Christ, we are no longer alone in this world, beloved. You know what this means? It means that he is with you. He is with you when you're healthy. He is with you when you're sick. He is with you when the world seems at peace. He is with you when the world is in turmoil and in fear. He is with you when you are in comfort. But he is also with you when you are suffering. He is with you in life. But he is also with you in death. But I love what Spurgeon said. Flip it. The promise is is that he is with us. And this is what's so amazing about Matthew. Is that Matthew begins with Emmanuel, God with us. But it ends with what? The Great Commission. Lo, I am with you what? It, it, begin, it ends the same way it begins. I am with you. That is the meaning of the birth of Christ. Is that God is going to be with us. And even as Jesus ascends into heaven. He says, I am with you and I am with you always. And so Spurgeon says, not only is he with us. You flip it. We are with him. So in the resurrection. That when I die and I am placed in the grave. And when God comes back. I will be with Christ through my own resurrection, the body. Amen, somebody. Because of the birth of Christ, I am in Him. I am with Him. So when He comes back, even if I die and place in the grave for a hundred, for a thousand years, my body will rise and I will be with Him. I will be with Him in the ascension that when He comes back, I will meet Him in the air and I will be united, body and soul, with Christ. I will be Him within His triumph and His victory. I have not been defeated. Because of the birth of Christ, because of his death, because of Calvary and his resurrection, beloved, Christ has defeated sin and he has defeated death. He has defeated this world. He has defeated Satan. He has defeated all enemies that would come with him. And guess who gets to reign with him in that victory? Me and you, but me and you, all of us who are in Christ. Because we are with him. And so we celebrate the first advent of Christ. But we yearn for the second one. Right? We yearn for the second one because then he is with us now because of the first one. But when the second one comes, I'm going to be with him. 
I will be with him and I will see him as my Lord and King. And I will no longer deal with this flesh and this sin. Do you see the meaning that Advent brings to you and me? All of this gives our life meaning. It fulfills. The word fulfill means that it fills up. And so not only has the birth of Christ fulfilled all the prophecies. But the advent of Christ fulfills me. It fills me with joy. It fills me with peace. It fills me with hope. It fills me with love. We are joyful. We are hopeful. We are at peace. We are thankful. Because Christ came. And if you find yourself wanting this morning, beloved, if you find yourself lacking and alone, and you find yourself fearful and hopeless in this world, beloved, if you find yourself without mission, if you find yourself without a message, if you find yourself looking for for some type of work or power, beloved, turn to Matthew chapter 1, to the birth of Christ, and be reminded that this is the meaning of Christmas. Not the lights, not the gifts, not the festivities. Its true meaning is in those three words. God with us. I invite you to come and be filled with those. Because those three words should do very much to us. Again, Spurgeon, he says, if the birth of Jesus was so gladsome to our cousins, the angels, what should it be to us? If it made our neighbors sing who had comparatively so small a share in it, how should it make us leap for joy? Oh, if it brought the heavens down to the earth, should not our songs go up to heaven? If heaven's gates of gate of pearl was set open as as wide as at its widest, and a stream of shining ones came running downward to the lower skies to anticipate the time when they shall all descend in solemn pomp at the glorious advent of the great king, if it emptied heaven for a while to make the earth so glad, ought not our thoughts and our praises and our love go pouring up to the eternal gate? Leaving earth a while that we may crowd heaven with the songs of mortal men. We have reason to sing, beloved. And we have reason to rejoice today. Because the advent of Christ is one of a message of hope. A miracle of power. And a mission of salvation. And a meaning for this life. Let's pray.